Good to have you here. If you are on the text list, you got a text yesterday about our little change of direction. Thank you all for bringing my stuff up here. And we've been on a on a series here in the Wednesday night. I've alluded to a few times on the on Ephesians. We've been studying the book of Ephesians, but we've been doing some things on the armor of God. And you may remember that I told you we went into it that there were two pieces of armor I did not feel like I had revelation on. I didn't feel like I had a full understanding of what they were to be able to teach on it. And when we came to the first one, I still didn't have it, so we postponed it a week, and we had no Wednesday night service, but I got it by the second time. And then uh, there was a second one that I knew was, I just didn't have it right yet. And so we went into that, but that one came a lot easier. And so we've, we've had them up there. We uh, sent you out a note on Monday that uh, we've actually compacted them all and put them all into one spot on the Sermon.net app. If you go to Facebook, go to YouTube, we can't help you on there, but if you go to the Sermon.net app, you can see video, audio, PDFs, whatever you want to do of that series. It's all right there for you. But every once in a while, we bring what's on Wednesday over here on Sunday. We don't usually do it the other way around, but every once in a while, we bring what is on Wednesday over here on Sunday. There's a couple of reasons why I did it here for this one. Um, <clears throat> The first of all is uh, uh, you have to go with the flow. And this has been flowing. Every time I sit down to study the Word, I just keep getting more and more stuff. I wake up in the morning. Oh, i got to go check that out. Oh, i got to see what this thing is over here. i got to see about this, this part over here. We ended the, serm- the Sword on the Spirit, and I told everybody, we're either going on into the next piece of armor, or there might be some more, because there's just something on. I mean, there might be some more on this. And then... Um, uh, one time I, I went after it, and all of a sudden, six things came up in the Word of God that the enemy targeted. Oh, yeah, we need to get into those. And that's important. And so we got into three of them, and we have three more to do. And as I was looking at it, I told everybody on, on Wednesday night, we're either going to be, uh, I think I said, uh, two more weeks on this. But I'm looking at it, and I I don't know that I can do it in two more weeks. Because uh, there's one of these one of these tactics that um, I love the story that demonstrates it. I, I think of this story often. Don't teach from it a whole lot, so it may not be completely familiar to you, but boy, I love the things that this thing demonstrates us, good and bad. It's not just all, all kinds of good stuff. It also demonstrates some, some bad things, some things to stay away from. And so instead of trying to patch this one in with the other two and hit that, we're going to take this on here this morning. Because the sword of the Spirit, if you use it correctly, if you understand how the sword of the Spirit works, will be one of the most dynamic forces in your life to stop what the enemy wants to try and do. The sword of the Spirit is not just to bring about what you need for your life, but it is also to bring about what is needed in the body of Christ. And so I was sending out some notes. I put some up on Facebook as we were doing our reading. Did you, I think Ethel was talking about that here this morning. Did you see it? And I hope that you keep, keep this up. As you keep reading the Word, look for the sword. Look for the shield. Look for the helmet. See these things in operation. This is not something that Paul just taught on in one section of the book of Ephesians. This is something that is all through the Word. And the more that we see it, the more we understand it needs to be a part of our life. These things need to be in your life. They need to be a part of it. And so we're going to take a look at this. But we looked at six tactics, six tactics that the enemy uses to keep from what we speak from turning it into the sword of the spirit there's a whole lot of christians out there and they are speaking the word 
We speak the word. Ever get in a situation? I speak the word. I feel threatened. On t- I speak Psalm 91. I do these things. But we, we, we talk to ourselves. We say to ourselves, I am using the sword of the Spirit. But you are not using the sword of the Spirit if you merely speak the word of God in that situation. I'm not saying you won't help it. I'm saying you don't use the sword of the Spirit. Because the sword of the Spirit is not the Lagos Word of God, the written Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the spoken Word of God. If you go back in the Wednesday night series, you'll, you'll see where that's so. That's the word that he uses. He does not use the word for written. He uses the word for spoken. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians six seventeen. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word, the rhema of God. It is not just merely, and I... I I think highly of the written Word of God. But the written Word of God has to become more to you than the written Word of God in order for it to become the rhema of God, in order for it to become the sword of the Spirit. If it does not become something more than words on a page, it won't help you in your life. You need to get the revelation. And so what happens is we're reading the Word, we're reading the written Word, we're reading in John. We're reading in Ephesians. We're reading in Galatians. We're reading in Jeremiah. We're reading in Genesis. Wherever it is we're reading. And God speaks to our spirit and gives us understanding. He speaks revelation to us about that scripture. And then we understand, oh, this is what that means. Now when I speak it, I'm not just speaking the Lagos word of God. I am speaking what God has revealed to me. When Jesus came to his disciples... And he said, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Uh, these are the things that they say. Who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. We've got to get to the place where the Father in heaven, through his Spirit, is revealing things to us about his word. There are people all the time who confess, well, I believe that I'm healed. Well, I'm just confessing that I have, I am here in the situation. And you don't see their situation changing. And then you see other people who seem to be doing exactly the same thing and their situation changes like that. How is that possible? Because one person is using the Lagos word and another person is using the Rhema word. God gave them understanding. God gave them revelation of it. It doesn't just stop with that. Sometimes God will speak to you about your life. He will speak to you about what's going on. He told Paul some things about what he would go through in ministry and those things happened. He told others, he told Moses, Moses, this is what's going to happen to you out there with Pharaoh and those things happened. He spoke to empower them. He spoke to Joshua. Joshua, here's some things to get you started in ministry. He spoke to Gideon. Gideon, here's some things to get you started in ministry. He spoke to um, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah. He spoke to the prophets and he gave them some things to get them started. That word they gave them catapulted them into a ministry of effective ministry, things for God. Elijah was working off of things that God spoke to him and he spoke those things out. This is where we need to get with the armor of God. You cannot just be out there, well, I've got this verse and this verse says that uh, by his stripes I'm healed. So I just believe that by his stripes I'm healed. That's great. That's the Lagos. But you've got to get out there and get the rhema of it. Oh, wait a minute. Now I understand it. Brother Hagen used to tell this story. If I keep this up, we're not going to get to where we need to. (laughs) He used to tell the story of this this woman, and he would have her read the, the scripture. By his stripes you are healed. And so he would say to her, so are you healed? Well, I hope so. So he, let's read that scripture again. He was so patient with this. 
by his stripes I am healed. So, are you healed? Well, I hope so. Let's read that scripture again. By his stripes I am healed. So, are you healed? Well, I hope so. Let's go over it again. I think at one point he did finally tell us, is uh, I, uh, by his stripes I am healed. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? Well, he said that's present tense. Well, if you are present tense healed, then are you healed? Well, I guess I am. And the light turned on for her. And suddenly she understood what it was, and she got healed of that thing that had been bugging her for, for so long. That's what you need to get, that rhema, that understanding, that spirit that speaks to you. And all of a sudden, oh, now I see it. Now, I didn't see it before. I read it. I knew what it said, but I didn't see it. Now I see it. And it became a rhema word to them. And then they could all go out and they could speak that word. And there was power behind it. And that's what we need to get. We looked at three things already. And uh, I know, letting you all know, yesterday probably wasn't a whole lot of time to to uh, get out there and to take a look at that. But we gave you three things. And by the way, if anybody gets hot or cold, Lamar is our guy to see. And he will do everything he can to keep as many people comfortable. But to understand there's a wide range of comfort. Right now, we didn't turn anything on at all. And so I let him know. I said, look, I left everything off because it seemed like it was pretty decent temperature. But if, you, uh, if you're getting hot, uh, generally he's looking around the room. If you're fanning yourself, he figures that you're hot. If you're putting on your sweater, he figures you're cold. If he's not getting the message, you can always go over there and talk to him. If Lamar is not here, there's some weeks he's not here, then uh, all eyes go to Todd. <laughs> so we had that back over there. But we gave you three things here in the, in the first one we did on Wednesday night. Three things. First one, and this is what the enemy wants to try and do to your sword, to the word that God speaks. First of all, he wants to make it uncertain. He wants to get what you have from God to be uncertain. He wants you to be uncertain that the Word of God actually said what it said, that it said what it said for you. Can you think of people that are, I know that Jesus is the healer, I'm just not sure He's the healer for me. I know Jesus will forgive people of their sins, I'm just not so sure that He will forgive me. Because I've done some really bad things, and I just, I don't feel like He will, he will do that for me. It becomes uncertain. If I am uncertain in the sword of the Spirit, in the rhema word that I have, in the revelation that He has given, if I am uncertain in that, He will shake me from it. I won't use it in battle. That was one thing. Not spending a whole lot of time on this, just letting you know these, this is what we looked at. The second one was untruthful or corrupted. If you let the word that you have become untruthful, if you let it become corrupted, then it will not function for you the way that it will. It will break, basically, in battle. You cannot let the word of God become corrupted. Remember, the sword attaches itself to the belt in the Roman armor. It attaches itself to the belt of truth. You've got to protect that truth. You sometimes have seen me over the years, and you know whenever I hear, whenever I see something that is untruthful, no matter who says it, no matter what goes on, you see my dander get up, you see me get angry even, you'll see things <laughs> with me. I just, I come out fighting. Why are you... No, you cannot say that. You can, no, I, just, I just get mad because the truth cannot be affected. We were talking, my wife was talking about somebody that he was, uh, she was a preacher that she likes to listen. I don't listen to them. Don't ask me who they are because I'm not going to tell you. But she was listening to them and she said, do you ever listen to so-and-so? And I said, no. 
And she said, well, how come? I said, because they constantly make uh, statements, factual statements, and they don't back it up in the Word. And I get frustrated with that, so I just turn them off. I don't listen to them. If you're going to make a statement, you've got to support it from the Word. Now, sometimes I hit you with maybe too much Word. But whatever it is that I'm going to hit you with, I want to make sure that you see here it is in the Word, and I want to make sure you have a good understanding of what the Word says, because that's what arms you. My opinion of what ought to happen in this world is worthless. But what the Word of God says has every bit of value possible. So my role as a pastor is to make sure I teach you what does the Word of God say. And you've got to know it in a whole bunch of different places. I'm not going to give you one obscure verse and just have you, you go with that. We've got to see it in, in multiple places. Because the truth that we have, you've got to guard against it. How did sin get in this world? Because the truth of the rhema word that was spoken to Adam was challenged. And it was allowed to become tainted. And then it fell apart. And it's the same way in so many other places in Scripture. We spent some time on that on Wednesday. The third one was unnecessary. I don't think that's necessary for me. You'll see this quite a bit in today, but we gave you some stories in the, in the Word of God. Remember Saul? In the Word of God that was spoken to him, I want you to go into the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out. I want you to not leave men, women, children. I want you to wipe out the sheep. I want you to wipe out the goats. I want you to wipe out all the lice. I want you to wipe out everything. And they get on out there. This is the word that came from the prophet. This is the word that was spoken to him to, op- to operate on. He gets out there. You know what? I don't think we need to wipe out everything. See, it wasn't necessary for me to obey that. It wasn't necessary for me. There are a lot of times in Scripture you hear people today that say, well, I don't know that it's necessary that you live like that. I don't know that you necessarily have to do it that way just because the Bible said it. You know, the Bible's kind of outdated now. And we do things like this. No, it's not. Whatever the Bible says, I will do it. And that's what we have to operate in. So those are the three things that we looked at. Uncertain, untruthful, unnecessary. Don't want to spend too much more time on that, but you can go back and you can check that out. Here's our, here's our fourth, fourth one. This was actually the seventh one. I like this as the seventh one, but of all the ones that are in there, this is the one that's going to take the most amount of time. So we're just, we pulled this one out by itself. Uh, you'll probably understand once we get through the other parts why we like this at the end here. But I put this in here this way. Unavailing word. Unavailing word. I could have probably used some other words in there, but it didn't start with un. <laughs> I'm almost starting with un to help you a little bit. Unavailing. I looked that word up in a couple of different uh, places. It means achieving little or nothing, ineffective, futile. Another definition put it this way. Useless, having no beneficial use or incapable of functioning usefully. Incapable of functioning usefully. Having no beneficial use. There are people who will look at the word. God spoke a word to them and they feel like it has no beneficial use. Now, I put a couple of stories there because I like you to see it in, in other places. I'm going to spend hardly any time on these first two because I really want to focus in on the third one. One of these ones we're going to cover here in the, in the first two, we're going to be on on Sunday morning here in a little while. So it's not important that we, we dig into it too much. But first off, the pool of Bethesda. Remember the lame man at the pool of Bethesda? Jesus comes up to him and he says, Do you want to be made well? 
And he immediately begins to go into, well, I have nobody to put me into the pool. I have nobody to, to um, help me out with this thing. So Jesus is speaking a word to him, but this word isn't going to avail anything for him because he can't do what is necessary to be done. I can't do it. I can't get into the pool. I don't have anybody to put me into the pool. If you're going to help me to, to, to get well, if you want, no, I don't know if I'm getting well. I, this is why I'm here. I want to get well. So then Jesus speaks something to him. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And we look at that and we can say, well, if that, that really is filled with things that are totally unavailing. Rise, if I could do that on my own, I wouldn't have this problem. I wouldn't even be here. Rise, take up your bed and walk. If I could do all those things, I wouldn't be here. You see, the man at the pool of Bethesda, he knows what he is supposed to do, but he can't do it and no one helps him. So whatever word you speak to me, that word might be true. That word might be completely right, but I cannot do it. I hear what Jesus says to do, but I just can't get it done. See, he had to get to a place where a word of revelation to him, not only where that, where that word that Jesus spoke, it, it not only heard what the word was said, but that revelation came to him. Wait a minute, if Jesus is saying this, I can do it. He was empowered by that rainbow word. When God speaks a word to your spirit, and it comes from God, he speaks to your spirit about your calling, about your life, about the word. When he speaks something to you, you got to understand this. His words to you are the very words that will empower you to get it done. The words he spoke to Joshua are the words that empowered him to get it done. The words he spoke to Moses are the words that empowered him to get it done. The words he spoke to Abraham are the words that empowered him to get it done. Abraham, Abraham kept looking at how can I get this done. No, the words that I spoke to you are what going to empower you. But the enemy wants to come along and say, say you hear those words? You can't do that. If you can get yourself to the place where you can do it, then maybe that word will have some benefit for you. And he gets me into a place where I think this word is an unavailing word. That word is probably true, but it's just, I, I can't get it to work for me. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? This is the one we'll get into down the road here, we'll let this one, uh, I'd love to read it for you. I left the reference in there if you want to go back and, and look it over. But you remember, Jesus, he's, he knew what he was going to do. He says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. Oh, how are we going to do that? Oh, how are we going to get that? We can't feed that. We don't have enough food. We don't have enough money. How are we going to get all this stuff done? And he says, what do you have? So they went out and they found they had uh, seven loaves and two fish. And uh, they brought it to him, and they said, uh, well, here we got this, but um, what is that among so many? See, sometimes I feel like the word that God has given me is just not sufficient for what's ahead. Gideon felt this. I know what you're saying, mighty man of power, but I am not sufficient for what's ahead. I can't get this done. Moses felt like, all right, I hear your call. You want me to deliver Israel, but I am not sufficient to get this done. Yes, you are, because the word he spoke to you empowered you to get it done. What is this among so many? And so he said, look, everybody sit down in groups of 50 and 100. Why in the world are we going to do this? We can't feed these people. If we start sitting them down in groups of 50 and 100, 
they're going to be expecting us to do something. We have nothing to do it with. And then he, he blessed the meal. Can you imagine this? Watching Jesus bless the meal, the bread and the fish. Watching him sitting there, he's blessing the, the bread, he's blessing the fish. Oh, let's, uh, let's pray over this. And the disciples got to be saying, this is a useless blessing. I mean, come on. <laughs> we got just a few fish and a few loaves, and we're going to feed all this. They've got to be, <laughs> there's no way this is going to do anything. No way this is going to happen. They're feeling like, Jesus, your words are true, but I just don't see how this is going to come about. Jeremiah chapter 37. Let's get on here and get into our story. This is such an interesting story. It might be new to some of you. Some, if you think that Jeremiah is all prophecy, it is not. Jeremiah has some history, and some parts of the history we only have in Jeremiah. He's the only one who tells us about it. There are some places where it doubles what happens in the, in the Kings and Chronicles. But this, verse 1. Now King Zedekiah the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. So the king of Babylon came down, conquered the place, put up a new king, and said, All right, as long as you pay tribute, we're, we're going to be okay. And then they rebelled. Zedekiah here, he is on the throne now. So he has uh, he's been put on the throne. But verse 2, But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is speaking words to them. He had spoken words and said, hey, Babylon's coming. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. That's not going to be what's happened. Babylon's coming. They did not give heed to Jeremiah. See, they had other people in the land, and we know this especially from Ezekiel's writings, they had other people in the land who were prophesying something else. God will deliver us. God will save us from the Babylonians. And Jeremiah, he's over here in the, the homeland. Ezekiel, he's over there. He was in the first group that had gone into the captivity. And he had gone over there. And he's saying, no, this is how it's going to be. We are going to be in captivity for a while because we rebelled against the Lord. But prophets were going out there and they're telling you, hey, God's going to come. God's going to deliver us. He's not going to forget his people. And it all sounds real good. Verse 3, And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuka, the son of Shelemiah, the, the, and, um, I'm sorry, and Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me, to inquire of me. You see, they're not listening to God. Neither the king, nor his servants, nor the people of the land are heeding the things that God is saying. But they send somebody to Jeremiah, pray to the Lord for us. Now, how many people are in your life? Do not raise your hand on this one. How many people have you had in your life that you know are deliberately disobeying the written word, the spoken word? They're disobeying God. And then they come to you, will you pray for me for this? And we, some of us will go off and say, well, of course I will. We'll pray with you on that. But I know they're in disobedience. I know it. 
Will we have the guts to be a Jeremiah and say some of the things that he says? Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Thus yourself say to the king of Judah who sent you to me to inquire of me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I'm sorry, um, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt to their own land. So you see, you got this help. Egypt has come up, and there's prophets that are saying, I will, I will deliver you through Egypt. And he says, no, that's not going to happen. The Lord says that Pharaoh's going to leave. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. <laughs> now Jeremiah is not leaving any, any room for doubt here, is it? This is the word. This is not Jeremiah's word. This is the word he received from God. But Jeremiah is the one speaking it. So who, holds, who gets the accountability for this word? It's not God, it's Jeremiah. Jeremiah is saying, thus says the Lord. And people are going to be looking to him if it doesn't happen. But he's very confident. The Babylonians have been made the number one enemy by the state of Israel, by the state people. And Pharaoh was made up as the savior. That's how they, that's how they pitched this. As the prophets were going out, as the people in the state were going out, they're talking about the Chaldeans, they're our problem. That's our problem right now. It's the Chaldeans. And uh, Pharaoh, no, they're here to help us. And what the prophet's been saying, Chaldeans are not your problem. Your problem is you rebelled against God. That's your problem. But you see, the, the other prophets are coming up and getting their eyes off of the real problem. That's from the pit of hell. I don't care how they disguise it. What they put it in is from the pit of hell. God is not in that. The problem is they rebelled against God. Babylonians are coming because they rebelled against God. Now, Jeremiah has been exposing this falsehood. He's been predicting that Egypt, he's not the help that they hope for. His solution his solution. Now, you've got you to understand this whole thing. We're taking on both chapters because you've got you to see this. When you see this, you will see how through history and even in our current day, the devil continues to work. His solution of surrender. Go ahead and surrender. Surrender to the Babylonians. If you want to preserve your life, surrender. That's what he's been preaching. That's what he's been saying. That's what God has been saying. You've got to submit to this. Stop trying to fight it. I have told you the Babylonians are coming. You are going to be under them. Now, yield to it. If they would have just yielded to it before, the city would not have been burned, it would not have been destroyed, but they continued to rebel. And so they came back again. He says, um, just, just surrender. Now, the other people are saying, no, don't surrender. You surrender to the Babylonians, they're going to kill you. They're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to burn your homes, they're going to burn your city, they're going to destroy you. Don't surrender to them, we've got to fight. God will, will deliver us. And so as a person in Jerusalem, you have a choice. Do you listen to the prophet who says, surrender, and trust me, you will be okay? Or do you listen to the prophets who say, fight, God will be on your side? I see, we had the benefit of looking back. But they were in the, in the midst of it. So down in their spirit, they ought to be, be listening. 
Which one bears witness with me? Which one is God showing me this is the, this is the right way? Now, if you were God, if you were God, would you feel like talking to these people anymore? They rebelled against you. When you told them Babylon is coming, Babylon came, they were in submission to them, they rebelled again. Prophets came and said, don't rebel, surrender, and they still keep fighting. If you are God, how many of you are just like, you know what, I'm not talking anymore. I'm not saying anything anymore. Just have at it. Go ahead and rebel. But God kept speaking to him. Now, have we ever put God in a place where he might think there is nothing to be gained by speaking anymore to us on a particular matter? Not talking about your whole life, but is there certain, sometimes an area in our life that we have just so shut down listening to God on that he says, I, I can't even speak to him on that matter. Now, you all have relatives. You all have friends. You all have co-workers. That you know if you have great conversation with them until, right? How many of y'all know? Until this comes up, whatever it might be, and it's different for every person, until this comes up, then all of a sudden, we're not having fun conversations anymore. So God looks at us and he says, I can have a great conversation with my son, my daughter, until we get to this. As soon as they get to the healing power of Jesus, boy, they just, they lose it. As soon as they get to the gifts of the Spirit, man, they just, they just go off the deep end. And so then God speaks to you in those other areas, but he knows I can't talk to him on this one. Boy, we've got to make sure we get those things out of our life because we're the one who suffers. Let's go on here, verse 11. And it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. Get this setting. You can so quickly read over this and miss the setting. Jeremiah has been preaching to the people. Surrender to the Babylonians. God will protect you. The false prophets, the leaders of state, have been saying, no, we need to fight. God will deliver us. We've um, got a... Uh, Treaty with Egypt, they're coming up and they're going to help us. And so we're looking out on the scene. The Egyptians come. The Babylonians pull up their siege against Jerusalem. As it says here in the passage, for fear of Pharaoh. We've got to go fight Pharaoh first. So he goes and he fights Pharaoh first. This battle is going on. If you were in Jerusalem and you were looking at these scenarios, you could easily be thinking, Jeremiah is wrong. It's unfolding the way the false prophet said. That's real important to know before you get to this next verse. Where do we leave off at? Verse 12. Well, let's just read it, verse 11. And it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. We didn't read this. If you go back a little bit, you'll find out God told him, I want you to buy this property. I want you to buy that. I want you to pay the sum of money because the property is going to have value. Now, if the thing becomes destroyed, 
what value is it? But he, he brought all these people around. I want everybody to see. I'm buying this property. I'm giving so much money. Here's the deed. Here's the, uh, the, the money. Everybody was around to witness it. We closed the deal. We have the deed. He kept the deed in, in a place. And then once the siege was lifted, Jeremiah goes out to claim or to look at the property he was just told to buy by God and did so. So he's out there. He's left Jerusalem. He's on his way to go to the property. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Urijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah the prophet saying, you are defecting to the Chaldeans. Now, is he? Absolutely not. But can you see the climate? We've got these two factions over here. Jeremiah's on the side, and right now it looks like what he was saying wasn't going to happen. Because the Egyptians came, and the Chaldeans left. And now, the siege is gone, and he is leaving the city. And somebody makes an accusation. He's heading over to the Chaldeans. We told you, he's in coots with the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans hired him. They bought him to come on in here and to tell you all to surrender so they can come in here and kill us. That's what he did. He has betrayed our nation for money. None of that was true. But this is what they're saying about him. And so when this captain of the guard sees him over there, he says, aha, now, now, we got to, now we're not investigating why you're here. We don't care about why you're here. We don't care about hearing the truth about why you're here. We don't care what supporting documents you have about why you're here. We've made the accusation, this is why you're here, and this is all we're going to listen to. Can you see how the setting was set up? When the enemy plays ball, he, under, he, he has a little bit of a long game going on. He doesn't just do the short game. He has a long game that goes on. I could show you that in other places, but we're, we're not there. You are defecting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, false. I am not defecting to the Chaldeans, but he did not listen to him. So Uriah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they struck him, put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. Any trial? Any witnesses? Any court cases? Nothing. What was it? An accusation. Only an accusation that was created because of the culture that was there because Jeremiah was on the wrong side and the false prophets were on this side. So you can miss that atmosphere that's going on, but I think you can see it pretty clearly here. This is what's going on in the, in the town. Ezekiel really shows you the, the two different sides, even more so than the Jeremiah does. But this is what's, what's happening. So he's now in jail. He's been accused. He says, no, that charge is false. It is not a new thing that people declared to be enemies of the state by the people who serve themselves and not the people they're supposed to serve. They do not fear God. And they make false accusations based on the interpretation of events as they see them. They resist any investigation in the truth so that the defamation will stand. This is what they do. This is not the only time it's happened in, in the Word. This is just a time that it happened in the Word. 
This is the tactic of the enemy. Don't ever fall for it. Don't ever follow after it. God never uses this. I'll show you what God's tactic is here at the end. But that God never uses it. Never, not a single time in the Word of God has He ever used this tactic against anyone. And yet the devil constantly does. I get amazed at how many Christians fall victim to going after this. This is what they do today. This is what they've done in decades before. This is what they have done in other countries. This is what they have done in other centuries. This is what happens. This is nothing new. This is the scheme of the enemy. This is how he operates. Create an atmosphere. Make accusations. And put people on the wrong side. The people that are exposing you for what you are. We gotta get them we gotta get them distrusted. We cannot you cannot break the truth that Jeremiah would come out with. You can't contend with the truth. So what you have to do is make people distrust the person. And then, no matter what truth he spouts, you won't believe it. That's his tactic. We've shown you this in times before. This is not the first time we've gone over this, but it's important to see this on, on this part here with the sword of the Spirit. But they act as if this indictment is true. It won't hold up under any investigation. And they, they sentence, they punish Jeremiah. The accusations really don't even make any sense. If he was going to go over to the side of the Chaldeans, why is he over in the land of Benjamin? Why not just go over to where the Chaldean army is? So now the people have to decide, is this a man of God or is he an enemy of the state? That's their decision. Now God's light, I think I wrote this, I left this in your outline for you. God's light exposes lies falsehoods, and hypocrisy, but it does not set out to defame character. God's, God's light, the light of the kingdom, it exposes lies, it exposes falsehoods, and hypocrisy, but it does not set out to defame character. Darkness defames character based on hearsay and hypotheses. Well, what if this was going on? What if they meant to do this? Oh, I bet you that's what they meant to do. I'll bet you that's what they were doing. Hypotheses and hearsay. This is what they will bring people down on. I'll get these, get these blanks here for you. Light exposes hypocrisy and lets your response establish your character. That's how light does it. Light exposes hypocrisy. And let your response establish your character. When God's light came on the situation with David and Bathsheba, the light came down, it exposed his hypocrisy, it exposed his sin, it exposed his lies. It did not defame his character. David's response is what defined his character. People that are behind these kind of schemes when things that they have done come to light and people begin to point at those things, their response will tell you their character. You don't have to wonder about it. It's there. Light exposes hypocrisy and lets your response establish your character. God does not defame people's characters. doesn't have to. All i got to do is bring her, your hypocrisy to light. That's it. I bring your hypocrisy to light. You will expose your own character. That's it. If you're a person of pride, selfishness, you'll expose that. 
If you're a person of humility, you'll expose that. Verse 16, when Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, and then Zedekiah the king sent and took him, I'm sorry, took him out. The king asked him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? Now this is the king who would not heed the word, right? This is the king who had the, the uh, leaders of state, they wouldn't heed the word. This is the king who was over the people, they wouldn't heed the word. We started off with that. And Jeremiah said, there is. Then he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. There you go. Oh, I was kind of hoping for something different. Why? <laughs> this is the word. Now, if you have a king who has not listened to the words that you have brought constantly, just not listening, not listening, not heeding, and then he comes to you secretly, hey, on, on the down low, I mean, don't let anybody know about this meeting here, but is there, is there a word from God? How many of you say, what do you care? How many of you think of a response like that? What do you care? No, God's not talking to you no more. <laughs> Wouldn't that just kind of feel good to say that? But Jeremiah doesn't do it. Apparently there was a, God says, if he comes to you and he says this, this is what I want you to tell him. You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Got a king? There it is. Now, Zedekiah, he seems to have a sensitivity to the things of God. Seems to have somewhat of a sensitivity to the things of God. He wants to hear the word of God. He doesn't want other people to know it. He may even want to obey the word of God, but doesn't because he's afraid of the princes, the people that are around him, the leaders of state. He's afraid of them. You'll see this more as the chapter goes on. He oper he's the king, but he operates in fear of these, uh, the Bible calls them princes. These are people, of the, in the, we would call them like a, people of state, people that help run the government. He's afraid of them. So he doesn't do everything that he wants to do. But he says, Jeremiah, come on over here. What's the word from the Lord? I think he's hoping for something different. Something that maybe he can just do on his own. Well, Zedekiah, if you will get in a room by yourself, and just repent before God. God says he'll, he'll let all this stuff go away. I think he's hoping for something that he can do privately, not publicly, because he's doing this in secret. I put in your outline this, having a heart that is sensitive, or having a spirit that is sensitive to the things of God won't bring the same results as one that is obedient to the words of God. You can be sensitive to the things of God all you want to, that ain't going to help you. You've got to be obedient to the things of God. That's what we have to do. How many of y'all know when you're raising some kids, you might have some kids that are real sensitive to your words. And you start speaking to them and they start crying and they start, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, But then they go up and they do their own thing. But then you have other kids. They stand there. You, you tell them, this, you did this wrong. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No sensitivity at all. Uh, but then they go off and they obey. Which one do you rather have? The one that obeys. God's not looking for people that are sensitive. He's looking for people that are obedient. That's all he wants out of them. I don't care how sensitive you are to the message. What I care about is that you obey it. And the word is this, surrender to the Chaldeans. Now there's a trust factor there. How do we know that the Chaldeans aren't going to be so mad at us and just kill us all? 
Because this is what God said. He spoke it. Verse 18, Moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, What offense have I committed against you, against your servants, or against this people that you have put me in prison? What have I done? You tell me what I've done. Lay it out here. Let's go. Put the charges right out here in front of me. Tell me what it is that I've done. That you put me in prison. I didn't do anything. Went out to go check out this property that I bought. And you guys have put me in prison. Tell me what I've done. So his, his word here is longer than the word that God gave. Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land? Therefore, please hear now, O my Lord the king. Please let my petition be accepted before you and do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Now, I think this is interesting about this. Right now, this is, this is the scenario in, in Judea. Babylon's coming. If you surrender, things are going to go better. If you don't, they're going to come in, kill you, destroy the city, burn the place. Things are, are really going to be terrible around here. And uh, you're going to be carried off into captivity. It's going to be uh, a horrendous place. This is what's coming down upon them right now. How many of you... Well, besides that, there's evil all over. There are false prophets prophesying false things in the name of God. There are people who say they honor God and are dishonoring the sacrifices, dishonoring the temple. Evil is rampant. The priesthood is not the priesthood. The priesthood is more involved in idolatry than they are in the priesthood of God. This is what's going on all around. The people are sacrificing the gods. The people are going to high places. They're sacrificing their kids to these gods. All this evil is going on. How many of you, if you are in that situation, would like to just say, beam me up. Lord, come for me now. I don't want to be down here. I, I've told them. They haven't listened. Just take me out. But that's not Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, I don't want to die there. He wants to stay alive. Don't give in to the thought that just because we're in the end times and evil is increasing. Don't give in to the thought. Just take me home. Be like Jeremiah. Verse 21, Then Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker's street until all the bread in the city was gone. Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. You read over that verse, you're going to miss all... You just read that verse and don't put any thought to it. You're going to miss a whole lot what just happened there. The king is making a stand against those in the state. Because the people in the state, the princes, they hate Jeremiah. They hate him. And so he has just said, we're going to make things a little bit easier for you. We're not going to pull you out of the prison. We're going to make sure that you're fed. As long as there's food in the city, you're going to be fed. And I'm going to watch, watch over this. And we're not going to put you into the, into the dungeon. Now, who's going to come and talk to the Zedekiah about this? The princes, the guys that he fears. Why are you doing this to Jeremiah? Are you getting sensitive to the things of God? Are you a traitor too? This is what he's inviting. This is what is probably going to come up and probably did come against him. But for some reason, he stood his ground on this one. And he defended Jeremiah. He says, nope, this is how it's going to be. See, they hated Jeremiah. Whenever you see people targeted and they hate them, know that something is, is going wrong. You all know in the, you know, in the Middle Ages, Martin Luther was hated. But you all know the person before him? I've, if you've been around here for a while, I've talked to him about it. 
He's one of the people in history. I love this guy in history. I liked him more than Martin Luther. Martin Luther changed, <coughs> changed a lot of things. But if this guy had the protection that Martin Luther had, folks, we would not have had a Lutheran church as the Protestant church. We would have had a charismatic church as the Protestant church for the first one. His name was Savonarola. Anybody ever heard of him? Savonarola? That was his name. Fifty years before Martin Luther. Fifty years before. He would have prophecies of the future. He spoke in tongues. The gifts of the, of the Spirit were in operation in him. And he was fiery with the Word of God. And they burned him at the stake. He didn't have the protection that Luther had. But he wasn't backing down. And they burned him at the stake. He's a fun guy to look up. Savonarola. If you ever want to check that out, you can, uh, you can find that out. I've, I've mentioned this before. I went to the King's College, and I sat under the foremost authority of church history, Howard Voss. Foremost authority of church history. If you find a church history book, more than likely, VOS is on the side. He wrote it. He was considered the foremost authority in church history. I did not learn about Savonarola or anything useful the entire time I was at King's underneath him. In fact, I hated church history, and I love history, and I love the church, and I love the things of God. Hated church history when I left Kings. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. And then we get down to Ramah, and they have a church history class. Oh, i got to go through this again. And a, a man that um, really no one ever heard, heard of, uh, Cooper Beatty, who uh, during my time there, they finally found out this guy had a Ph.D. He was Dr. Cooper Beatty. He was far, far more studied than he ever told anybody. And he, when they came out with that, I remember him being in class. Yeah, well, you know, I don't want to make a big deal of all that. So he just, just uh, kind of pushed it aside. He's the one who showed me the life of God in church history. I was so grateful for that. Because then I said, oh, now I can see church history and there's the life of God. Life of God is all through it. But I just had somebody first teach me who only, only taught me the darkness. And then I found out there was light there. Savonarola, if you ever want to check him out, he is worthwhile uh, doing some reading up on Now, let's go on over here to uh, chapter 38. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pashur, Jokal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence, but he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live, his life shall be a be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. These are the words that he had spoken. These people, they could speak these words to each other, and they could act on them if they chose to. It's up to them. Verse 4, Therefore the princes said to the king, Please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war. Does he really? They're making, they just make the accusation. This, the same, don't you get tired of it today? People just make up accusations and throw them out there at people? We don't have to support it. We just got to make up the accusation. That's what they're doing here. This is nothing new because it comes from the pit of hell. Please let this man be put to death. Remember the word of God says, on the basis of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And witnesses, not hearsay people. Witnesses. Please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war. They're coming to the king for permission to kill this guy. 
who remain in this city in the hands of the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. Is Jeremiah seeking the welfare of the people or the harm of the people? He's all out for the welfare of the people, but you see the accusation comes in. There's no facts to it. There's no truth to it. Then Zedekiah the king said, now watch this statement. Look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. Does that sound like a king who's in charge? The king can do nothing against you. They felt like they had to come and ask permission. He's saying, you know, I can't stop you guys. Who's running this kingdom? So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of uh, Malchiah, the the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. They let Jeremiah down with ropes and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. What would happen inside this is that uh, you would get down in there and you would just continue to sink. It was a thick mire. It was not something that was thin that you could move around in. It was a sinking that you would go, go down and down. How many of you have ever been down to the shore and you've uh, kind of waded around where the water goes, comes in and out? And you know, if you stand there for a little while and the water goes out, what happens to your feet? You, you sink down. And if you stay in there long enough, you keep going down, 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 down. But eventually most people move. And they, they move to a different spot. And they, they kind of move around. This is not sand. This is a mire. This is thick. When you sink down and you can't move the same way. It, it holds on to your body. And you just keep slowly sinking, 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 sinking. You get down there far enough, you're going to have a hard time getting, getting pulled out. When they do send and they pull this guy, they pull Jeremiah out, they actually have to send, uh, if you read it in the scripture, it says they went and got cloth to put under his arm. Because when they pulled him up with the rope, if they didn't have the cloth and distribute the weight of pulling him out, they would rip his arms off. This is the kind of stuff he's sinking down into. He's, he's in this pit. There's nothing there. There's no food coming down to him. There's no water coming down to him. There's no care coming down to him. He's just stuck in this pit. It's dark. This is where they put him. They put him there to die. And he knows he's sinking. I'm not getting any water. I'm not getting any food. It's only a matter of days until he's going to be dead. Now, Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. He is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in this city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here 30 men with you. 30 men to pull one guy out. He knows what's down in there. Take 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury, and they took from their old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so, so they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So 30 men are on the rope. The rope is underneath Jeremiah. The clothes are there to distribute the weight. And 30 men pull to get him out. How would you like to be stuck in that? 
That's where he was. That's what these people had done. But once again, Zedekiah flips. In the presence of the princess, well, you know, I can't stop you guys. And then this uh, eunuch comes up. Hey, we need to save him. Yeah, you're right. We should. <laughs> you know, it's like, get a backbone. Come on. So he flips again. I made this note. I don't know if I left it in your... I don't think I left it in your outline. But people who are not convinced of what is true will flip between what they feel will benefit themselves the most. Now this part I've left in your outline. Many will die for truth, but few die for selfish gain. If you want to see how much of the truth someone is in, see if they're willing to put their life on the line. Because people won't put their life on the line for selfish gain. But they will put it on for truth. Jeremiah was willing to put his life on the line. Because he was not in this for selfish gain. Jesus put his life on the line because he was not in this for selfish gain. The disciples put their lives on the line because they were not in it for selfish gain. Paul put his life on the line because he was not in it for selfish gain. Silas, Timothy, Titus, they put their life on the line because they were not in it for selfish gain. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego put their life on the line because they're not in it for selfish gain. Boy, we can go on with the list, can't we? But the people that are in it for selfish gain, they don't put their life on the line. They won't even sacrifice their conveniences. You want to find out who's on the right side today? Just take a look at that. Who's willing to sell out? You'll sell out for the truth. You won't sell out for selfish gain. Then Zedekiah the king sent and had Jeremiah the prophet brought to him at the third entrance of the house of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah said to him, to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, will you not listen to me? So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, again secretly, saying, As the Lord lives, who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men, who, the princes, who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then your soul shall live. This city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house will live. But if you do not surrender to the king's Babylon, if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape their hand. And Zedekiah the king said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have defected to the Chaldeans, lest they deliver me into their hand, and they abuse me. But Jeremiah said, here's the word from God. This is the word from God spoken to him. This is a rhema word. They shall not deliver you. Please obey the voice of the Lord, which I speak to you. So it shall be well with you, and your soul shall live. But if you refuse to surrender, that is the word that the Lord has shown me. Now behold, all the women who are left in the kings of Judah's house shall be surrendered to the king of Babylon's princes, and those women shall say, Your close friends have set you, have set upon you and prevailed against you. Your feet have sunk into the mire, and they have turned away again. So they shall surrender all your wives and children to the Chaldeans. You shall not escape from their hand, but you shall be taken by the hand of the king of Babylon, and you shall cause this city to be burned with fire. Then Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, Let no one know of these words, and you shall not die. But if the princes hear that I have talked with you, and they come to you, and say to you, Declare to us now 
what you have said to the king and also what the king said to you, do not hide it from us and we will not put you to death. Then you shall say to them, I presented my request before the king that he should not make me return to Jonathan's house to die there. And that's what Jeremiah does. Now, if you ever think, well, how come Jeremiah was able to lie? He didn't lie. Just because people ask you for truth doesn't mean you have to give it. When they came to Jesus and they asked for truth, did he always give them the truth? Did he sometimes not tell them the truth? When they came to him and said, let me ask you a question. Where does your authority come from? He said, I'll tell you the answer to that question if you answer my question. And they said, well, we can't answer that question. I'll neither answer to you. You are not obligated to give truth to people that will trample it. You are not obligated to put, give pearls to pigs. You have no obligation. They need to show that they're worthy. As the famous line in the movie, you want the truth? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Love that line. <laughs> Some people can't handle the truth. And these people, they, if, they, if you gave them the truth, they would not do truthful things with it. There are some people, you do not need to tell them the truth. Just hush. Then all the princes came to Jeremiah and asked him, and he told them according to all these words and the king had commanded. So they stopped speaking with him, for the conversation had not been heard. Now Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison until the day that Jerusalem was taken, and he was there when Jerusalem was taken. We're not going to go into the rest of the story. If you want to, when you're home sometime, or Chapter reading takes place Monday through Friday, so you got the rest of today. You can read some of this. In chapter 39, you will find out he does not surrender to the Chaldeans. He does not listen. He does not heed the word of the Lord. And what happens is the Chaldeans bring him and they bring all his sons. And they let him watch as each son is murdered. And then after he sees all of his sons murdered, they, it says in the word of God, they candy coated it a little bit, they said they gouged out his eyes. That's not exactly what happened. What happened is they took a hot rod and they stick it into the eye socket and they burn out the eye. And then they take a spoon and they dig out whatever was left over. Now, God was trying to spare him from that. If he would have heeded it, if he would have listened, he did not. The last thing that man ever saw was his sons being killed if he would have surrendered, if he would have trusted God. But you see, he decided, the word of God that is spoken to me, I cannot bring it about. I cannot do it. If I, even, if I do do it, it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to change anything. How many times have we been told a word from God? God says, do this, change your diet, change this thing, do this thing over here. Well, that's not going to make any difference. That's not going to do anything really... I, no, I don't, I don't know about that. And we reject it. We don't go after the thing because really, what is that going to avail? What is that going to bring about for me? Now, the enemy wants to sell you on the thought. Nothing can change for your situation. He wants to sell you on these thoughts. Nothing can change for your situation. Whatever situation you're in, this is it. It's not going to change. This is how it's going to be. You are stuck in this. Nothing's going to change. I don't care what God says I don't care what he speaks to you in his word. You are not changing this situation. You will always be under this physical thing. You will always have this ailment. You will always have this situation. You will always have this mental issue going on. Whatever it is, this will always be the case. 
That's the thought he's going to do. If he can't get that in, he will say, all right, nothing will change. Maybe it can, but it won't. So nothing will change. It Maybe it can change, but it won't. So therefore, nothing will change. Then everything bad will happen to you. Everything that you can imagine is bad. It's going to happen in your life. It's coming. You can imagine losing your job. You can imagine uh, all your money going away. If you can imagine it, it's going to happen. Do you see all this stuff going around the world? It's coming on you. Everything bad is going to happen to you. That's the thought he's going to bring to you. And nothing that God says will stop this. It will not avail what you wanted to do. Anything you do is useless. That's the thought he will get. And there's a lot of Christians that are under those thoughts. And they don't do anything because they feel like, I can't change my situation. I will always be in this situation. Because they have been told, no matter what God has spoken to you, it will avail nothing. And so instead of using their sword and what God has spoken, instead of seeking after God to hear what God has to say about the situation, they put their sword down. And they are not using it at all. And their sword has been neutralized. They're not bringing that sword into the, into the battle. When we do what God says and speak what God reveals, anything can change. When we do what God says and speak what God reveals, anything can change. If God speaks to you, get this part down. Oh, I hope you get this one. If God speaks to you concerning a mountain, there is still opportunity to move that mountain. If God speaks to you, down in your spirit, He speaks to you about a mountain in your life. If He speaks to you concerning a mountain, there is still opportunity to move that mountain. The enemy will say, all right, well, that would have worked if you would have done it a year ago. What I want you to understand is, if God is speaking a word to you today about your situation, He reveals something to your spirit from the word. He reveals something about how you can change it. If He tells you something today, then you can change it today. This is what I want you to see. This is a beautiful story for this. No matter how much rebellion they had been in with God, no matter how much disobedience, no matter how much... Zedekiah did not heed the word of God. When God spoke the word through Jeremiah, his situation would have changed that day if he would have listened. But instead, the enemy comes in and says, you've been in rebellion too long. You have not listened to the word of God for too long. It is not going to change your situation. Just forget it. Don't believe him. If God speaks to you today, whatever He says to you will happen if you listen. When you get concerned, it's when He stops speaking to you. But I'll tell you, no matter how bad it got with Israel, when they came back to God, God still sent His prophets and He spoke to them. Remember Josiah? The house of God had been in such disrepair, they had to go in there and clean it up. And then they found the scroll. Hey, what's this? Let's read it. Ah! <gasps> You see what's, we see what's written in here? They had been so far removed and they immediately began to repent. And God says, I hear your repentance. 
no matter how much they had not done, God still heard them and spoke to them. Now, on Wednesday, we're going to get into another encounter that really demonstrates this principle, but that'll be on Wednesday. Darkness. I don't think I left this in your outline. But darkness will shed light on what will make no difference in order to darken what will. Darkness will shed light on what will make no difference in order to darken what will. This is what darkness does. Darkness wants you to focus on the wrong thing. Darkness, I want you to focus on Pharaoh. I want you to focus on Pharaoh's army coming to the rescue. I want you to focus on that because as long as you're focusing on that, you're not focusing on what God said to do. And if you're not focusing on what God said to do, you won't do it. You won't do it. You look at the things that are going on here today. How many things the news media wants us to believe is the problem? Because they don't want you to see what the real problem is. They don't want you to see what's really going on. So they, want, they put light on things that they want you to see. Darkness casts light on things they want you to work on to distract you from what God says. This will change it. This will change it. This is one of the ways that he will neutralize your sword. Is He will make you think that whatever God has spoken will not have that great of an effect, that it's too late you can't change it now. That the word that God has spoken will not avail anything in your life. So we just have to come to a place to understand. If God speaks it to me, if God reveals it to me, if God shows it to me, it means that in my place right now, I can put it to work and it will change my life. It will change the battle. The devil knows we cannot let that sword of the Spirit get engaged because if it does, it slays the enemy. So we've got to do everything we can. We've gone through four different things that the enemy does to come against, but we've got two more to go. And then at the end of that, we're going to tie it all together and show you how you can make your sword of the Spirit the most effective sword that you can. Because God wants you to have an effective sword, not an ineffective one. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that your light shines. We can see in your word what your light does. We can also see in the word what darkness does. We know the works of darkness and we know the works of light. Help us, Father, because we have all too often yielded to the light that darkness has shown on the thing, which means we're not walking in the thing that light has shown. Help us to see where darkness has gotten a hold of our life. What are those areas that you can't talk to us on? And help us to bring the light of the gospel in those areas because they're holding us back. You have given us the sword of the Spirit. The enemy has targeted our sword. He wants to corrupt it and bring untruth into our sword. Get us to believe things that God never said. Get us to do things God never said to do. Corrupt it in any way that he can. 
He wants us to think it's not important. It's not important what God said. You can go ahead and do what you want. You're in a different day, in a different time. He wants us to think that the word that you have spoken is too late for us to operate in it. It's too late for us to change our situation. It's too late. But Father, it's not too late. And we have a sword that we can use against the enemy. But we've got to turn it into a rhema sword. We've got to be before you, hearing you, letting you enlighten the word in our life. And we can speak out that word that you give us light on. I thank you for it. Thank you for the light that you bring us into this week. And I pray that every person here, they have darkness in their life. That they would be open to the light of the gospel coming in. They have a habit they want to get rid of. They are open to how the sword of the Spirit can turn that habit into something that doesn't have hold of them anymore. They are captivated by thoughts, worries, cares. They'll learn how to use the sword of the Spirit against them. And they will not come under these things. The enemy so much wants to bring us into disobedience. Father, you have armed us with all the things that we need so we can make our stand and not be knocked down. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. It's good to have you here today. Uh, we have a video teaching coming out for you tomorrow. And it's a, we're doing a double Rick Renner. Uh, I put the one up from last week for Rick Renner because I thought, well, he's, he's not teaching anything new. And so we'll just go back and we got some, because I just really wanted y'all have a, a, we hadn't done a Rick Renner one for a while. So I just wanted to do that. And don't you know, don't you know, last Sunday, he is at a church and he taught something different. <laughs> now, I've heard him teach on this before, but it was a good message. And so it's coming out for you tomorrow, but it's something new that we have in there. And um, I actually got a backlog of some things. I got some other ones that come out. I was listening to one. Oh, this. Brother Hagen was sharing some stuff, the stories from this. I said, I'm thinking, I have not heard this story in a while. Oh, tell me that story again. And he said something in that, in that, um, in that teaching. Oh, I tell you, he was teaching this. And I said, is that why that is? Is that why this? How many have ever had, there are some teachers that you listen to, and oh, you can just get so much out of it. You can hear them teaching it again, you just get more out of it. You can hear teaching them again, and I, I, he, he addressed that in this teaching. I don't know when I'm going to put it up there, but oh, man, we've got them backlogged. I got a bunch of them out there, so we've got more for you to, to have. Enjoy them, listen to them. We put them up on Monday so that you can listen to them whenever you can throughout the week. But these are things that will help you out. Brother Rick has a great message for you here. It's, uh, it's a little longer than the, the last one. The last one was about a half hour. This one will go a little bit longer, but uh, not quite up to. Rick's standards, when I first knew him, Rick's standards was hour and a half, two hours minimum. When he's over there in Russia, he says, if we don't have a four-hour service, the people feel gypped. They need to have at least a four-hour servers over there and uh, for them to, to feel that. But anyway, he's, that's coming on up tomorrow. Uh, Friday night, we had the prayer and praise. I sent you a text about that. It's in the bulletin, but that's coming up here on, on Friday night. 7.30, come on out. We're going to be uh, praising, worshiping the Father, and then having some time in prayer, too. That'll be Friday. And then, of course, Wednesday, we'll be here for the midweek service as we go on with the Sword of the Spirit. These things are blessing you. Uh, 
let us know. And do know that uh, all the things you see Brother Rick do, one of the things I'd love to bring you out for, see that we have a hand in everything that Brother Rick does over there in the Soviet Union. We always have. We have always been a big supporter of them and, um, and to let them to spread the gospel. So when that gospel is going out into the area of the Soviet Union, into the area of the uh, former Soviet countries, you have a hand in that, in, in doing that. And there's some other places too, but uh, just know when you hear Brother Rick, you're helping getting the message that they're doing to places out there. Have a great rest of the day and bless some folks before you get out of here. Next Sunday, everybody know what that is?